Chapter Twenty of The Two Gun Man by Charles Alden Seltzer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Penn. Love and a Rifle. Ferguson did not visit Miss Radford the next morning. He had seen Leviatt and Tucson depart from the ranch house, had observed the direction they took, and had followed them. For twenty miles he had kept them in sight, watching them with a stern patience that had brought its reward. They had ridden twenty miles straight down the river, when Ferguson, concealed behind a ridge, saw them suddenly disappear into a little basin. Then he rode around the ridge, circled the rim of hills that surrounded the basin, and, dismounting from his pony, crept through a scrub oak thicket to a point where he could look directly down upon them. He was surprised into a subdued whistle. Below him in the basin was an adobe hut. He had been through this section of the country several times, but had never before stumbled upon the hut. This was not remarkable, for situated as it was in this little basin, hidden from sight by a serried line of hills and ridges among which no cowpuncher thought to travel, nor cared to, the cabin was as safe from prying eyes as it was possible for a human habitation to be. There was a small corral near the cabin, in which there were several steers, half a dozen cows, and perhaps twenty calves. As Ferguson's eyes took in the latter detail, they glittered with triumph. Not even the wildest stretch of the imagination could produce twenty calves from half a dozen cows. But Ferguson did not need this evidence to convince him that the men who occupied the cabin were rustlers. Honest men did not find it necessary to live in a basin in the hills where they were shut in from the side of the open country. Cattle thieves did not always find it necessary to do so, unless they were men like these, who had no herds of their own among which to conceal their ill-gotten beasts. He was convinced that these men were migratory thieves, who operated upon the herds nearest them, remained until they had accumulated a considerable number of cattle, and then drove the entire lot to some favored friend, who was not averse to running the risk of detection, if through that risk he came into possession of easily earned money. There were two of the men, beside Leviatt and Tucson, tall, rangy, looking their part. Ferguson watched them for half an hour, and then, convinced that he would gain nothing more by remaining there, he stealthily backed down the hillside to where his pony stood, mounted, and rode toward the river. Late in the afternoon he entered Bear Flat, urged his pony at a brisk pace across it, and just before sundown drew rein in front of the Radford cabin. He dismounted and stepped to the edge of the porch, a smile of anticipation on his lips. The noise of his arrival brought Mary Radford to the door. She came out upon the porch, and he saw that her face was pale and her lips firmly set. Apparently something had gone amiss with her, and he halted, looking at her questioningly. "'What's up?' he asked. "'You ought to know,' she returned quietly. "'I ain't good at guessing riddles,' he returned, grinning at her. "'There is no riddle,' she answered, still quietly. She came forward until she stood within two paces of him, her eyes meeting his squarely. "'When you left here last night, did you meet Ben on the trail?' she continued steadily. He started, reddening a little. "'Why, yes,' he returned, 
wondering if Ben had told her what had been said at that meeting. Was he telling you about it? Yes, she returned evenly. He has been telling me about it. That should be sufficient for you. I'm sorry that I ever met you. You should know why. If I were you, I should not lose any time in getting away from here. Her voice was listless, even flat, but there was a grim note in it that told she was keeping her composure with difficulty. He laughed, thinking that since he had made the new agreement with the two-diamond manager, he had nothing to fear. I reckon I ought to be scared, he returned, but I ain't, and I don't consider that I'm losing any time. Her lips curved sarcastically. You have said something like that before she told him, her eyes glittering scornfully. You have a great deal of faith in your ability to fool people, but you have miscalculated this time. I know why you have come to the Two Diamond. I know what made you come over here so much. Of course, I am partly to blame. You have fooled me as you have fooled everyone. She stood suddenly erect, her eyes flashing. If you plan to kill my brother... Why did you not have the manhood to meet him face to face? Ferguson flushed. Would it help his case to deny that he had thought of fooling her? That he never had any intention of shooting Ben? He thought not. Leviatt had poisoned her mind against him. He smiled grimly. Someone's been talking, he said quietly. You'd be helping to make this case clear if you'd tell who it was. Someone has talked, she replied. Someone who knows. Why didn't you tell me that you came here to kill Ben? That you were hired by Stafford to do it? Why, I didn't, ma'am, he protested, his face paling. You did, she stamped one foot vehemently. Ferguson's eyes drooped. I came here to see if Ben was rustling cattle, ma'am, he confessed frankly but I wasn't intending to shoot him. Well, I've had lots of chances, and I didn't do it. Ain't that proof enough? No, she returned, her voice thrilling with a sudden bitter irony. You didn't shoot him. That is, you didn't shoot him while I was looking at you, when there was a chance that he might have given you as good as you sent. No, you didn't shoot him then. You waited until his back was turned. You... You coward! Ferguson's lips whitened. You're talking extravagant, ma'am, he said coldly. Something is all mixed up. Has someone been shooting, Ben? She sneered, pinning him with a scornful, withering glance. I expected that you would deny it, she returned. That would be following out your policy of deception. He leaned forward, his eyes wide with surprise. If she had not been laboring under the excitement of the incident, she might have seen that his surprise was genuine, but she was certain that it was mere craftiness, a craftiness that she had hitherto admired, but which now awakened a fierce anger in her heart. When was he shot? he questioned quietly. Last night, she answered scornfully. Of course that is a surprise to you, too. An hour after you left... He rode up to the cabin and fell from his horse at the edge of the porch. He had been shot twice, both times in the back. 
She laughed, almost hysterically. Oh, you knew enough not to take chances with him in spite of your bragging, in spite of the reputation you have of being a two-gun man. He winced under her words, his face whitening, his lips twitching, his hands clenched that he might not lose his composure. But in spite of the conflict that was going on within him at the moment, he managed to keep his voice quiet and even. It was admirable acting, she thought her eyes burning with passion. Despicable, contemptible acting. I reckon I ain't the snake you think I am, ma'am, he said, looking steadily at her. But I'm admitting that maybe you got cause to think so. When I left Ben last night, I shook hands with him, after fixing up the difference we had. Well, ma'am, he went on earnestly, I'd just got through telling him about you and me figuring to get hooked up. And do you think I'd shoot him after that? Why, if I'd been wanting to shoot him, I reckon there was nothing to stop me while he was standing there. He'd never knowed what struck him. I'm telling you that I didn't know he was shot, that she made a gesture of impatience. I don't think I care to hear any more, she said. I heard the shots here on the porch. I suppose you were so far away at that time that you couldn't hear them. He writhed again under the scorn in her voice. But he spoke again earnestly. I did hear some shooting, he said, after I'd gone on a ways. But I reckoned it was Ben. What do you suppose he would be shooting at at that time of night? She demanded. Why, I don't remember that I was doing a heap of wondering at that time about it he returned hesitatingly. Maybe I thought he was shooting at a sage hen or a prairie dog or something. I've often took a shot at something like that when I've been alone that way. He took a step toward her, his whole lithe body alive and tingling with earnestness. Well, ma'am, there's a big mistake somewheres. If I could talk to Ben, I'm sure I could explain. She drew her skirts close and stepped back toward the door. There is nothing to explain now, she said coldly. Ben is doing nicely, and when he has fully recovered, you will have a chance to explain to him, if you're not afraid. Afraid? He laughed grimly. I expect, ma'am, that things look pretty bad for me. They always do when someone's trying to make them. I reckon there ain't any use of trying to straighten it out now. You won't listen. But I'm telling you this. When everything comes out, you'll see that I didn't shoot your brother. Of course not, sneered the girl. You did not shoot him. Stafford did not hire you to do it. You didn't come here pretending that you had been bitten by a rattler so that you might have a chance to worm yourself into my brother's favor and then shoot him. You haven't been hanging around bare flat all summer pretending to look for stray two-diamond cattle. You haven't been trying to make a fool of me. Her voice trembled, and her lips quivered suspiciously. Well, now, said Ferguson, deeply moved. I'm awful sorry you're looking at things like you are, but I wasn't thinking to try and make a fool of you. Things that I said to you, I meant. I wouldn't say things to a girl that I said to you if... She had suddenly stepped into the cabin, and as suddenly reappeared, 
holding the rifle that was kept always behind the door. She stood rigid on the porch, her eyes blazing through the moisture in them. You go now, she commanded hotly. I've heard enough of your lies. Get away from this cabin. If I ever see you around here again, I won't wait for Ben to shoot you. Ferguson hesitated, a deep red mounting over the scarf at his throat. Then his voice rose, tingling with regret. There ain't any use of me saying anything now, ma'am, he said. You wouldn't listen. I'm going away, of course, because you want me to. You didn't need to get that gun if you wanted to hurt me. What you said would have been enough. He bowed to her, not even looking at the rifle. I'm going now, he concluded. But I'm coming back. You'll know then whether I'm the sneak you said I was. He bowed again over the pony's mane and urged the animal around the corner of the cabin, striking the trail that led through the flat toward the two-diamond ranch house. End of chapter 20